Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. These Philly Christians were weak enough to be strong in the Lord. Now, that's interesting. Weak enough to be strong in the Lord. Do you know it is possible to be too strong or too big or too sure of yourself? And thus, that makes you weak. God takes weak things and does great work. Why? Because he knows that you won't take the glory for yourself. If God uses you and you know you're not worthy to be used, you know there's nothing special about you. You're just weak and nothing and small and microbe. And you know that. And Jesus uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And, the, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. You see, God wants to use that which is weak in order to show himself powerful. Then there's no greater illustration in all of the scriptures than in the life of this guy named Gideon. This is an awesome story. It's in Judges chapter 6. You ought to take the time to read it. God used Gideon, who was weak, to confound the mighty. You might remember the story. Gideon finds himself hiding from the powerful, awesome, mighty Midianites. And he's hiding in the threshing floor where you thresh wheat. And he's probably kicking himself because he's being a coward. And the angel of the Lord shows up, the Bible says. And the angel of the Lord says, hey, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Now, remember, he's kind of hiding. He's like, oh, the Midianites, oh, you know what I mean? Knees knocking, teeth chattering, you know? And Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon probably is looking around like, is there somebody else here? I mean, who, me? Me? Yeah, you, Gideon. I'm going to use you to save Israel. You're going to save Israel. Well, God gives Gideon 300 men to fight against the Midianites, and their army is 135,000. 300 Israelis and 135,000 Midianites. The odds are 450 to 1. Well, one night, Gideon divided the men in three groups and he gave them three things a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. And Gideon says, Listen, fellas, he says, When you hear the trumpet sound, he says, Blow your trumpets. And he says, and break the pitchers and then start screaming, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now, the interesting thing is that they didn't even have a sword. 
So Gideon says, when you, when you hear the trumpet blast, start screaming the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And while the Midianites were asleep, it's a great story. While they were asleep, they woke up to the sounds of trumpets and yelling and the bright lighted torches in their face, which caused a bunch of confusion. They come running out of their tents. They start whacking each other with the sword. And God got a great victory with just a few the weak things to confound the mighty. 450 to 1, God likes those odds. We find those odds again with the 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah on Mount Carmel. You know the story. And Elijah challenged those gods and they, their gods failed them. And again, there on Mount Carmel, God got a great victory. You see, it's in the micros, the smallness in man's eyes, that God gets the glory. And let us not forget about Jesus and 120 disciples to change the whole world, to turn this upside down world right side up with 120 men. And we are the result of even that very weak thing to confound the world, the mighty Jesus loves to confound the world with little things. And this church of Philadelphia, they had a little strength, and that is what made them useful for God. The second reason the Lord gave them an open door is because they kept his word. The word kept means to guard or to protect. This word was used to block off the enemy. And what they used the word of God to do was to hold back the enemy and to hold forward truth. They guarded the truth. They did not deny the inspiration of the word of God. They kept it and they obeyed the word. And then thirdly, they haven't denied his name. That's why they were useful. You know, so many people, so many churches today, they have no power and they have no vision it's because they deny the word. Oh, they might speak his name, but they deny the word. The Church of Philadelphia, they had a respect for the word of God. They lived like it was a holy book. They lived like it was an inspired book. They lived like it was an authoritative book. And even when it wasn't socially or politically or economically popular, they refused to quit living for, for Jesus and to quit speaking about Jesus. They refused. And God used them, the little things, to confound the mighty. Now, if you were here last week, you know we left off at the church of Sardis. Sardis, which was the period in history called the Reformation. And it started with men like Luther in Germany and went on through to men like Zwingli in, in, in Switzerland and, and other great reformers whose desire, whose heart was to unchain the scriptures and get people back to the word of God. The Reformation was an awesome time in history, and yet it lost its steam. And that's why Jesus said to them, you have a name, you have a reputation, you have a history, you have a heritage, but you are dead. Now, with the Church of Philadelphia, we move to the next phase of church history called the Great Awakening, 1725 to 1925. It was a time of great missionary outreach that has actually continued till today. It's 1793. There was a guy who was working in a shop as a cobbler. That's a shoemaker. We don't call them cobblers anymore. He was a shoemaker. And this cobbler 
had a well-worn Bible. And next to his well-worn Bible was a book called The Last Voyage of Captain Cook, a thrilling adventure of Captain Cook's journeys. And as he read these two books, the more he read, the more his heart was stirred and the greater the passion grew. And he started caring for the souls of men, more so than for the souls on the shoes. And on May 31st, 1793, after reading Isaiah 54, which reads, Enlarge the place of your tents, do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will expand to the right and to the left. This man strolled into his church and he asked the pastor, could he share a word? And he told the congregation that we need to strengthen the stakes and begin to include others who have never heard the gospel. He said to his congregation, to those people, he said, please send me to India. The man, William Carey. William Carey. Now, you got to understand something here. It's been hundreds of years since anyone launched into foreign mission activity. So this was pretty shocking to the church. Now, Carey was a blue-collar worker. He was an uneducated man, but he had an incredible passion and desire for the word of God and to see souls saved. And God used William Carey mightily. He went off to India, and in his first 10 years, he became fluent in 12 different languages of the Indian continent. He opened the mission's first school for natives, and in the next 20 years, 102 more schools opened with 7,000, nearly 7,000 students. He opened up a factory and employed hundreds of Indians and and, and Share the gospel with every one of them. William Carey goes down in history as the father of the modern missionary movement. And this is an awesome statement that William Carey said. He said this, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. He said, do something so radical and so big that if God is not in it, it's doomed to fail. I like that. Do something so radical. Why are we so scared? We won't take the open doors that God has given us. God is showing many of us in this room that he's got a great call in our lives and a great purpose for our existence. And yet we are so scared because we are afraid to fail. I like what Carrie said. Carrie said, listen, do something so radical and so big that if it isn't God, it's going to fail. And then you'll know that it is God, and to God be the glory, great things he hath done. Oh, I like William Carey. And during this period, missionary after missionary was raised up. Hudson Taylor founded the China Inland Missions. D.L. Moody, who evangelized America. George Whitfield and John Wesley. C.H. Spurgeon, who pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. He was also a missionary. Robert Moffat and his son-in-law, David Livingston, went to Africa. And then Charles Finney. Don't forget about old Chuck. Charles Finney. In fact, during the revival with Charles Finney, get this, there were actually places where entire police departments and precincts had nothing to do but form singing quartets because there was no crime being committed. Is that amazing? During this time, there were actual judges who were considering resigning their judicial seats because they had no cases to try. 
In Wales, there are documented newspapers accounts of how tavern after tavern after tavern went out of business when those revivals hit. Breweries after breweries went out of business because people didn't want to drink anymore. Why? Because they were drinking of the living water. Can you imagine a Super Bowl without beer commercials? That's what it would be like. People watch the Super Bowl to check out the commercials. Got to see the Super Bowl. All the new commercials are coming out. Can you imagine ones without the beer commercials, that's what it would be like. In fact, Dr. J. Edwin Orr, a precious saint and a great church historian whose favorite topic was revival, he discovered an old newspaper article from Wales which said that because the coal miners were getting saved, the work in the mines had come to a grinding halt. He said that the headlines had really struck him as odd for one, who would, so for one would think that productivity would increase if the miners got saved. Well, as he read the article further, Dr. Orr discovered that work in the mines came to a grinding halt because the mules that were used to pull the carts of coal and mining supplies, they didn't understand what the miners were saying because the miners were no longer using foul language. What? Amazing. You might want to pick up the book in the bookstore. They found the secret. It's a great book. And you know, this is what prayer and revival will do. It will bring things to a grinding halt. You see, revival begins when people's hearts are touched by God. Oh, please don't take this as offensive. I don't mean to be offensive. But revival has nothing to do with what's going on down at Brownsville, Florida. If you're from Brownsville, please forgive me. But that's not real revival, you guys. You know what that's like? That's like cotton candy. It's big and it's sweet, but it's just a quick, you know, fix. That's all it is. And it will pass. That's not true revival. True revival is when people's hearts are so touched by God that they no longer use foul language. People's hearts are so touched by God that they don't want to drink of the wells of the world anymore. They want to drink of the living water that only Jesus Christ can provide. That's true revival. True revival begins when the church begins to pray. Why is the church powerless? Because the church is prayerless. If we start praying, we will bring things to a screeching halt. And sorry, the Super Bowl commercials will definitely change. For sure. True revival begins when people's hearts are touched by God. And this church was powerful. And the church in Philadelphia was effective because they realized their need for God. They had little strength. They kept his word and they did not deny his name. Go with me to verse 9. Notice, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, those who say they are Jews, but they lie. They're not. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I've loved you because you have kept my commandment to persevere. I will also keep you from. You see that? In the Greek language, that's better translated out of. We'll talk about it in a minute. I will keep you 
out of the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take away your crown. Now, we saw this phrase, a synagogue of Satan in the church at Smyrna, you might remember. And understand that there were Jews who were getting saved and leaving the synagogue, and they had given up on the law as a means of salvation. And those who continued in the synagogue were now in a false religion. So these Jewish Christians faced opposition from the Jews in Philadelphia, but we know that that opposition came from Satan because we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So this opposition came from Satan. And Jesus is saying to those who think they are Jews because of their DNA, they are not real Jews. They are Jews in name only. They lie because they have no spiritual connection to Abraham or the people of faith. Because true Jews are those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And these Philadelphia Jews were only concerned that the Gentiles bow before their feet and acknowledge that their God is the only God that loves Israel only. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to flip that around. I'm going to reverse that, that they shall bow at your feet. Now, I want to draw your attention briefly to verse 10. Notice, because you have kept my commandment, I will keep you again out of the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world again. The word from translates to out of the hour of trial. What is the hour of trial? You will find it, and we will deal with it more in depth in Revelation chapter 6, through chapter 19. It's called the Great Tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's, it's, it's a time that, that, that will, the distress that will come upon the world such as the world has never seen, nor shall the world see again. It's the hour of trial, a seven-year period of God's judgment upon the earth. And we'll deal with that, as I said, as we move through the book of Revelation. But notice this trial was sent to test those upon the earth, a time of testing sent to reveal the hearts of men upon the earth. God is going to keep take us, keep us from that or to keep us out of that. Now, for the Christian, this is a huge, great promise because it is a promise that links itself to the fact that the Christian, if you are a born-again Christian, you will escape the great tribulation. I will? Yes, because you have received Jesus now, and you will be taken out of this world. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, you know it well. The Lord himself, as a matter of fact, read it with me, would you? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with our Lord in Oh, what a day is going to be. Amen. Oh, what a day. We're going to be with Jesus. He's going to keep us out of, from that hour of trial that shall come upon the earth. And then in closing, notice in verses 12 and 13, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. And this is important for this city. He'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. 
I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, before you close your Bible, notice Jesus says to you who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Now, this is good news, as I said, to this city that was plagued with earth tremors and aftershocks. The pillar was a point of stability. Now, we know that in the temple of God, there are no real pillars. There's no structural pillars. Why? Because we are the temple of God. The Bible says believers, we are the temple of God. So there's no structural pillars. So this word pillars actually speaks to faithful people of God who shall not be shaken despite the tremors. They won't need to flee the city. And then I will write on him a new name. When someone of honor died, they would erect a pillar in honor of them and inscribe their name on it. And again, this is something very familiar to the Christians in Philadelphia because they had their name changed a couple of times. They were called Neo-Caesarea at one point. That would be the new city of Caesar, and they had their name changed again, and none of those names lasted. The people didn't like it. They thought we should just remain calling ourselves good old Philly. And so they kept the name Philadelphia because that name meant city of brotherly love, and they liked that name better. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you three new names. Did you get that? The name of my God, the name of the city of my God, And I will write upon him my new name. And this new name is a passport and a visa of the believer, which will enable him to be a citizen of heaven. I was talking to my wife last night. We were just laying there. Or maybe it was this morning. We were just laying there talking about heaven. Someday we're going to be in heaven. In heaven, there's no more pain, there's no more sadness, there's no more sickness, no more sorrow. And I was telling her how sometimes I'm so tired of this life. I'm tired of this world. It's evil. It's not of God. And I'm tired of it. And when I read the Bible and understand that Jesus is going to come someday and rapture the church in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says we'll be caught away. That means snatched away. It literally means snatched away violently. In other words, you can't control it. It's just going to happen to the Christian. And then someday we will forever be with Jesus. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Amen. That gives me an incredible hope. And without that hope, we are all men most miserable. We are miserable. If I didn't have the hope of heaven, if I didn't have the hope of heaven, we could just end it all right now. It could just be over. What would there be? What hope would there be if there were no heaven? Not the pie in the sky heaven that people like to talk about and sing about. No, I'm talking about a heaven that Jesus has prepared. He's been preparing for 2,000 years. And someday he's going to come and get Rodney. And someday he's going to come and get you. And you're going to be in that home in heaven that he's been preparing for you. Don't give up. You keep running for Jesus. You you stay close to this word. They kept his word. You stay close to the word. I don't care what the world says. I don't care. They can develop their programs and all their secret stuff. I don't care. You stay close to the word of God. Someday it'll be all worth it. 
Amen. It will be worth it when we're with Jesus in heaven. I got to stop because I can keep going on and on. Stand up. I got to pray. <laughs> Father, we love you, Lord. Just get excited about talking about you. We get excited with this hope of heaven that we have. And we'll be in your presence someday. And Lord, all the pain that we experience in this life will mean nothing. As face to face, we look at our Lord. Lord, we're so grateful. You've been so good to us. Lord, so good. You died for us that we might have this hope. You died, Lord, that we might live. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for every person here this morning, that they would know that and walk in that truth. And then take this truth and take it to the world, a world that is lost, a world that is dying, a world that desperately needs Jesus more than they need anything. May we burn with passion as William Carey did and all the other great men and women of God throughout the ages, holding out the light in a very dark place. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.